I'd recently fallen into the habit of stopping to gaze out of the window when I should have been attending to the patients. The changing face of the sea, the way it could be a mysterious green in colour and flat calm one day or churning and brown when the wind was driving directly against the windows, was more interesting to me than the men and women I was supposed to be tending. Their humours tended not to vary. On the whole, they were full of complaints usually about their doctor's insistence that they must be exposed to the maximum amount of sea air each day, or about the charity cases, impoverished Londoners suffering from scrofula, an affliction affecting their glands, joints and bones, for whom the hospital was originally founded. I was, on occasion, forced to remind my patients that at least they didn't have to spend each night sleeping in the open air, as the charity cases did. To my surprise, though, they rarely complained about the sea bathing, the cornerstone of their treatment programme. One and all, they were impatient for improvement in their condition and hoping for relief from their damaged lungs. Throughout my time working at the Royal Sea Bathing Hospital in Westbrook, I had my doubts as to the efficacy of the treatment. But since it kept me and others in employment, you would never catch me saying anything other than soothing words to the patients. I had regular work, and although the money wasn't very good, and the lodgings even worse, I needed to stay there for as long as I could. Or so I thought then. I had become used to having only myself to look after, since my mother had remarried, and my brother John had been incarcerated in Maidstone Jail. I had, I thought, resigned myself to a life of hard work with but a few simple pleasures. A new frock every now and then. Ribbons for my bonnet. The loan of a novel from the lending library in Hawley Square. I might long for a gown of Indian silk, but such finery would be wasted. Since I'd moved to the edge of Margate from Eastland's farm, I'd had no cause to travel further afield. I had family in the area, but we had lost touch more than twenty years earlier, and I did not seek them out. They would inquire after John, and I was hard-pressed to come up with a convincing lie. Years of petty crime and brawling had culminated in his latest sentence of five years. I could have invented a new life for him, somewhere distant, London, Scotland, Australia, perhaps, although the latter was too close to where he would inevitably be sent if he transgressed again. That, or the gallows. Meanwhile, the risk of his reappearing once his sentence was over, in search of whatever money I might give him to go away again, meant his existence was best kept quiet. I had taken a different name, in an attempt to distance myself from my brother's notoriety. I had been Harriet Goodchild when I moved to Eastland's farm. Now, having adopted my mother's maiden name, I was Harriet Dixon. It was a gesture of rejection of my father's family too, I suppose. They had abandoned me, after all. I have taken care to acquire a small nest egg, built up in the course of my work, but not necessarily as a result of my own efforts. It was the decision by the hospital trustees to fund the charitable patients by taking private ones that played into my hands. Not all of these private patients were careful about where they kept their jewellery, or small amounts of cash. It was hardly my fault if rings discarded thoughtlessly on bedside tables apparently slipped down between the floorboards. 
I was always meticulous in warning the patients of such hazards. Even so, several items of jewellery vanished in this way. Gentlemen, I noticed, were equally careless of how they emptied change from their pockets before divesting themselves of their clothing in preparation for immersion in the sea. They rarely, if ever, noticed the absence of one or two coins, and it soothed me to see how quickly small amounts added up to something more appreciable. Soothed me, because, it has to be said, I was not always sanguine about where my life had taken me. Like the sea that I watched with increasing frequency from the windows, I had been buffeted by life, dragged under and flung out to a place not of my choosing.'